This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. President Biden has made a couple big promises with respect to seized assets from the Central Bank of Afghanistan. Some of that money will go to the families of 9-11 survivors, and some will go to the people of Afghanistan. There are some problems with those promises, Cato adjunct scholar Sahar Khan comments. When Afghanistan fell, when the United States uh, had, you know, months earlier many, many months earlier, announced a departure from Afghanistan, and uh, Joe Biden followed through on that departure from Afghanistan. The central government very quickly collapsed. The Taliban was ready to fill the vacuum, and uh, as we have learned since then, uh, was ready to fill the vacuum for quite a while, and had been working for years uh, to establish credibility uh, around the capital. And uh, then the Taliban took over and became the de facto government of Afghanistan, including the central bank of Afghanistan. So let's go back in time a little bit here and understand when the United States has a beef such as 9-11, where Americans have been killed with the assistance of a foreign government, in this case, it was the Taliban-led government in Afghanistan in 2001, what was the legal action taken in U.S. courts? And then we'll get back to uh, the more recent action in Afghanistan. So the legal action taken by the families of the victims of the 9-11 attacks was basically to sue the Taliban for aiding al-Qaeda, and they sued them in U.S. courts. Now, before we even talk about those cases, it's important to realize that you know, ever since World War II um, and the modern international order was established, the, the U.S. has stood in alignment with the world by um, acknowledging and abiding by sovereign immunity, which is this principle that people generally cannot sue governments. But in 1996, Congress passed a law and, you know, it, it was expanded in sort of the post 9-11 era in which Congress made it easier for victims of terrorist attacks to file such lawsuits in U.S. courts. And so that's what the families of the victims of 9-11 did, right? So right now, and that's not all the families, it's about 130 families who have filed this particular lawsuit that we've been hearing about in the news. But just to give you a little bit of history about these kinds of cases, um, the f- one of the first cases to be filed was... Um, against the government of Iran um, and the families of the victims of the 1983 truck bombing in Beirut filed this case in, in in the U.S. court system. And the judge basically ruled that the government of Iran owes these families $50 billion in, in um, reparations. Um, similarly, the families of um, the 9-11 families tried to take uh, tried to take advantage of this exception by filing a case in Luxembourg. In 2019, in Luxembourg, they wanted to go after Iran's assets there because Iran had aided al-Qaeda. And Luxembourg actually ultimately ruled that the sovereign immunity of Iran took precedence over the plaintiff's claim. Right. So the, the the question that comes to mind is, well, what is the point of these lawsuits? Right. Basically, these kinds of judgments and lawsuits are really symbolic. And that was sort of the legal path. Yeah. You don't imagine that people are actually going to make good on like the government of Iran or Afghanistan is going to say, yep, that was our bad. Here's a nice right. big check. 
Right, exactly. I think it's just a way to sort of cope with your grief, right? To 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 file this case. And even when the judgments are handed down and they're billions of dollars, I don't think anybody actually ex- expects that the governments will pay up. And no government has paid up ever, right? But now the Biden administration on Friday basically announced that it's going to distribute half of the assets that it's frozen of Afghanistan and give half of those assets to the lawsuit that 139-11 families have filed against the Taliban asking for reparations. So this, if this actually happens and if they actually get this money, this is going to set a very dangerous precedence, I think, in my mind, of what happens to these kinds of cases. Okay, so why why is that precedent dangerous? I mean, we understand as a moral matter that if you have wronged someone and it seems clear that uh, the government of Afghanistan wronged uh, the families who were uh, who had family members who died on 9-11 or were uh, injured on 9-11, that they're in some sense entitled to something. Uh, why? What's the precedent and what does the future hold in your view if these kinds of cases continue with real teeth? Yeah, I mean, if they continue with real teeth, you know, I think it really begs the question of this money itself, right? Does it really belong to the Taliban? And is is it really, you know, are the uh, families of 9-11 actually, you know, getting money from the Taliban by getting this this particular pot of money? And a second thing I think the U.S. should actually really be more concerned with is that other Groups of people can file a case against the United States. I mean, the Taliban and the Iranian government have certainly killed lots of civilians. Um, so has the United States because of the global war on terror. So then the United States better start getting it, it should get ready to pay up because there are a lot of people that have died unjustly and wrongly because of the global war on terror. Yeah, because when we think about like rules of nations engaging with one another, a lot of those rules are really just become mere suggestions when you're talking about really powerful countries with massive militaries, nuclear capabilities. Uh, uh, I guess my thought when you were saying that was, well, what about hacking? If if China is able to hack uh, banks in the United States and seize assets in a way, in pursuit of some legal judgment that has been entered against the United States, it seems odd that we that the U.S. would be able to say a whole lot about it. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, in, in case of Afghanistan, um, and this is also something that's not talked about that much, there was an international criminal court case, the ICC case, that had started. And it was against the Taliban and the Afghan government and also the U.S. military. And now, the United States is not a member of the ICC. The United States should be, and it should try to hold itself accountable to some of the injustices that it's committed. But the reality is the United States will not. And so I think these kinds of judgments are really problematic because, first of all, it'll, sh- it'll indicate that you know the- these families are, are getting this um, pot of money. I'm not entirely sure what good it will do you know um and and this is not you know grief is grief but at the same time this money technically doesn't belong to the taliban right because if it does go to the 911 families then the united states is indirectly saying or indirectly recognizing the taliban and saying that this is their money and therefore 
it should go, some of it should go to the 9-11 families. But as it stands right now, the U.S. doesn't recognize the Taliban. So it's this it's this odd situation of, well, if we don't recognize the Taliban, then this money is not the Taliban's money. And therefore, if any money goes to the 9-11 families, then it shouldn't go from this particular pot of money. That's the way I see it, unless I'm wrong. I mean, it's a weird, it seems like a weird legal technicality, but a lot of weird legal technicalities hinge on whether or not a country is designated a state sponsor of terrorism. And it doesn't really tax my reasoning capability to think that, well, if we don't recognize the government as a government, then taking money from a group of people uh, is not quite the same thing as taking it from a government. Right. Absolutely. And I think another looming question, you know, about the money is that where did this come from? Right. And how did it end up in the U.S. Federal Reserve? I think what's also really, really important to realize is that the Afghan government before the Taliban takeover and before the U.S. left, the Afghan GDP was based on international donations and was based on U.S. donations. The U.S. basically has been funding about 80 percent of Afghanistan's economy. So technically, the Central Bank of Afghanistan, or the Afghanistan Bank as it's called, had about $9.4 billion in reserve assets as of April 2021. But they didn't actually have these assets in the bank physically in Kabul, right? Um, and this is what makes it really interesting because when the Taliban came and took over Kabul, they basically were asking the employees of the bank, well, where are the assets, right? Because they wanted the assets, but they weren't physically there. Now, about 7 billion of Afghanistan's assets are held in the U.S. Federal Reserve. 3.1 billion are in U.S. bills and bonds. 2.4 billion are in World Bank Reserve Advisory and Management Partnership assets. And 1.2 billion is in gold. And just about 300,000 is in cash. And a further 1.3 billion is being held in international accounts. So, so this money is also sort of everywhere, but where it's not is, is in Kabul. But it belonged to the central bank of Afghanistan because those Afghans who had accounts or were using the Afghanistan banking system and their 12 banks in the whole banking system were able to sort of open accounts and get their savings or, you know, get money saved from an ATM. They can't do that anymore. Right. Um, and I think, I think the problem now is, well, whatever money that, um, President Biden has, has decided to give to Afghanistan, it has to go through the banking system. And what the Biden administration doesn't want to do is engage with the Taliban. But you can't put money in Afghanistan's banking system without engaging with the Taliban. So this is the one thing I don't understand. And there are lots of things about this I actually don't quite understand, but this is the main one. That even if you have allocated $1 to go back to Afghanistan, how are you going to get that $1 into the hands of an Afghan without the Taliban or without interacting with the Taliban. And this is something that the executive order has not mentioned. And this is something that the administration has not talked about. So we're really still back on square one, right? We haven't really, really made any action. And if nothing else, this is terrible, terrible optics. I mean, the, the Biden administration has been so concerned with how it looks, how it engages with the Taliban, should it not engage with the Taliban, how will it look like if it recognizes the Taliban? That's so terrible. I feel like this is even worse, right? That this money that was earmarked for Afghanistan in whatever shape or form belongs to Afghanistan, technically, and you're taking half of it away from them. 
that's what it boils down to. Yeah, it's weird because you, you know, in the U.S. departure as clunky and ugly and arguably uh, ill-conceived as it, as it may have been, the Biden administration certainly wants the people who live in Afghanistan to be skeptical and give their government a difficult time. They're not we're officially up. The U.S. is officially opposed to the Taliban. And uh, if nothing else, this would appear to give them common cause. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the whole thing is just I, I just don't understand who is making these decisions. Who thought in the Biden administration that this was a good idea? Because this seems like a terrible idea in a terrible way of solving a humanitarian crisis. And the reality is that Afghans are starving. Afghan civil servants and teachers and healthcare workers are not being paid. And the United States, along with the international community and other stakeholders, has to come up with a way to pay them. And I just don't see how they can come up with a way to pay them without engaging with the Taliban. And that's something that hopefully the administration can figure out soon. Sahar Khan is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 